This is our number three of the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. Each week we get together for three hours. We talk about the news of the week, sometimes the events of our bizarre lives, and occasionally we even have guests. <laughs> Not often. This is only the uh, first time, second time we've had a guest. No, no, no. We've had a few. Um, actually, on, Two. On, on weeks where you're not here, I often do oh, guests. Oh, that's correct. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> but we have, a, we have a very high standard for guests. Mainly, they first of all have to be willing to come on, which is difficult. And then uh, we have to, have to like them. So that, that, those two things right there pretty much eliminates most of the universe. Everyone. <laughs> except for a few very select people like our current guest, who is the director and the co-writer of a brand new film that's coming out on Friday, March 11th. You're going to see it in theaters nationwide. you got to see it the first weekend. It's called The Young Messiah. It's the story of Jesus as a child. And by the way, Cyrus, I keep referring to the fact that it's important that if you're going to go see it, you see it the first weekend. Tell people why that is the case from, from a movie-making standpoint. Well, that first weekend just determines you know, if you're going to frankly stay in theaters and how long you're going to stay in theaters, because there's every week uh, there's new movies opening up. And if a movie doesn't open solidly the first weekend, uh, it may be uh, pushed out by the theater owners for something else that's coming in new. Um, it's just it's just a big bellwether is that opening weekend. Yeah, And we'll talk more about the movie making business and the insanity of that business and how. Uh, what I believe, and I think you agree, that the movie business is basically broken. The machinery of the movie-making business is broken. But somehow, despite that broken machinery, uh, out comes this movie, The Young Messiah, which is fantastic at every level. Um, it is typical of Cyrus's work, which is uh, outstanding, uh, both from a visual standpoint as well as from a storytelling perspective. And, and let's talk a little bit about uh, a couple of the unique aspects of The Young Messiah. Specifically, Cyrus, with, for a religious movie, there are two things that I've never seen before, other than the fact that this is the story of Jesus as a child, which is unique. I've never seen Joseph, the character of Jesus' father, played in such a strong manner. Was that done on purpose by, uh, by you and your wife, Betsy? And if so, why? Uh, absolutely. Uh, also, I, I think he had a, a, a strong presence in Anne's original novel, but we, I think, even pushed it a little bit more because in the movie you have to see and hear and, and look at the guy, you know, so you're not just imagining him in your head like you do when you're reading a novel. So we need a guy, I need an actor who had a presence who was, all, who was not only though strong and a real father to this child, but also sensitive and, you know, understanding of the incredible burden that they're all facing. I mean, we all want to protect our children and we love our kids, but this isn't just any kid. This is, you know, this is the son of God. So the responsibility and burden that these parents have is enormous. Um, the actor playing Joseph, by the way, is Vincent Walsh, who came in on an audition. And I was just very impressed with him. And I think he's, I think he's magnificent in the film. I, I love the cast. Up and down. I think I, I think we cast the picture uh, wonderfully, and you know Joseph is just one of those characters in so many biblical movies who's gotten lost. He's almost wallpaper. Not in this movie. But why do why do you think that is with so many biblical movies that the the character of Joseph is so remarkably 
I'll use the word weak or non-existent or not a not a major player when you would I mean to me that doesn't it's never made any sense to me and it's one of the things I liked most about the young messiah was my goodness finally a Joseph that's remotely realistic because if you look at the story of Jesus the guy who plays Joseph has to be a strong character because if he wasn't he would never have been able to endure the situation as as, as told in the bible so it's never made any sense to me do you feel do you agree with that well I, I agree to a certain extent i think part of the problem is that mary and jesus are just so iconic figures you know so he just sort of you know gets shunted aside but mm-hmm. We, we actually get to see Joseph and Mary as parents, you know? I mean, I think modern families watching this movie can draw a lot from them to see how they love and support each other, how they walk through life's trials and challenges together, you know, how they include and care for the extended family and share their lives together with them, which is very common in those days. Um, I think it's... Um, I just think it's a different and really interesting window into the Holy Family. Well, you mentioned Mary, and Mary, of course, um, is a political football when it comes to the different sects of Christianity. I mean, every, uh, you know, I grew up in a Catholic tradition, and we have a very different vision of Mary than some other uh, Christian uh, sects do. So tell me how you thread the needle on how to portray Mary, the mother of Jesus. Well, the first thing is you need to find the right actress, um, which which also was a challenge. And I don't know if I've told you, John, how we found no. our Mary, but I was looking. You know, when you're when you're shooting a movie some anywhere in the world, in we in this case we are based in Rome. You want to cast as much as possible locally because you don't want to fly and hotel everybody in. It gets expensive. So I was, you know, it was incumbent upon me to search for actors in Rome. So I was looking at all the Josephs on tape that the Italian casting director had put together, and they're reading with a Mary who's off screen. I'm only hearing her. I have no idea what she looks like. Wow. And I'm hearing her. Casting director asked me, so what do you think of these Josephs? And I said, I don't know, but who's that Mary and what she looked like? She ended up with the part. <laughs> That's so, amazing. You know, I mean, she was, she was literally just reading for the audition. Wow. And uh, she's fantastic. Yes. And one thing that's been really gratifying about this whole process of showing this movie in advanced screenings to these religious influencers across the country is we find that Catholics love our Mary and feel like we've de- depicted her in, in their tradition. And evangelicals have watched it and said, I just love what you did with Mary. You didn't go over the top. <laughs> well, that's that's pretty good sign of success right there. If you're if you're pleasing uh, those two different groups uh, on on Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, the other thing that this movie, The Young Messiah, has, which I have never seen in a religious movie before, is that it has a comic relief character, um, <laughs> and that is that is like I guess the uncle. Um, yeah. uh, uh, tell uh, us about him. That's Uncle Cleopas, who. Um, is in Anne Rice's book and was comic relief in her book and was terrific. And, you know, that once again, you've got to cast an actor who can play it straight, but also can play it funny without overdoing it. And one thing that was really interesting for me in the experience of making this movie was um, we had a lot of funny bits from him. But we're sitting there wondering, okay, 
are we overdoing it? Is he too funny? Do we need to cut back on him? Do we need, you know, what's, what is the just right amount of comic relief that you want to have in a movie like this? And the guy who helped us the most with that was Chris Columbus because he's done so many comedies. He's done, you know, he's just known for his comedies. He's also done drama. And Chris was always telling us to pull back because he said, this guy is so good that a little will go a long way with him. And he was right. No, I, I think he's a lot of fun, and I, I think it's probably just the, the amount, right amount of comedy to complement the story uh, of the young Messiah. We're speaking with Cyrus Narasta, the director and the co-writer, along with his wife Betsy, of this movie, The Young Messiah, which comes out on March 11th, this Friday. I urge you to go see it. When we come back with Cyrus, I want to talk about the, the making of the film and what Cyrus has learned about the movie-making business and whether or not the machinery is broken. We'll do that when we come back on the John and Leah show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. Welcome back. This is the John and Leah show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon, and our special guest is Cyrus Narasta. He is the director and co-writer, along with his wife, Betsy, of a brand-new film coming out in theaters nationwide called The Young Messiah. This Friday, March 11th, it is the story of Jesus Christ as a child. And, uh, Cyrus, I want to talk a little bit about the movie-making business uh, and your extraordinary experience on this film, The Young Messiah. First of all... With this opening on Friday, this is literally six years, is it right? Six years in the making for you and your wife. And yeah. and this this day, Friday the 11th, is going to tell so much about what ends up happening with this movie. Whether it And, and with this particular movie, I, I think that the disparity between a huge hit and not being a huge hit is, is particularly large because of the subject matter. Tell me about, you know, just the, your mindset, your emotions, your psychology of you and your wife basically waiting for this baby to be birthed after six years and, and finding out on Friday whether or not uh, the world likes your baby. Uh, t- tell, us, tell us what's that like. Well, you know, it's kind of strange. Um, there's, there, there's two kinds of feelings one has. First of all, you know, you, we've made the movie, and no one's more critical about their own work or self-critical than I am. So I know what works in the movie, what doesn't work in a movie. And I'll just say this. I'm very happy with the movie. And I feel like I've accomplished what we set out to do. You did. And um, now it's in God's hands. Yes. I want more than anything else, honestly, this movie to do well for the people who believed in it from the beginning. Chris Columbus, Michael Barnath, and Tracy Price, Bill Andrew, all these people who really stepped up who stood by me and Betsy, who through very difficult times managed to sort of join hands and bring this to life. I want them to be rewarded. And, of course, if they're rewarded, I'll be rewarded. But I feel like I've already been rewarded thanks to their efforts and the film that we have. That's a really great answer. Um, and and I, I'm, believe me, I'm pulling for you as much as anybody, and I'm pulling for this movie because it's a fantastic film. And I, I really urge particularly parents 
uh, of young children to make sure that they take their kids to go see it. I, I think having had my own three-year-and-a-half-year-old daughter see it, I think easily anyone five years or older is perfectly appropriate to see this film. And uh, you know whether you're Christian or not, but especially if you're Christian, I think uh, it's an, a tremendous family film that you might want to go see a couple of times in the theater. But, but, but Cyrus... Um, one of the th- in talking with you hundreds of times about this film, and I remember getting an email from you a couple of years ago, the first time you, you started filming uh, with the subject line "devastated" when, when you thought that <laughs> oh, when, you poor thing. Uh, uh, when you thought that when you thought that the film was dead. Uh, I got another email from you a few weeks ago. We're screwed because of, <laughs> uh, because because of John, what? We're on, John, we're on the radio. I, well, I understand that, but I mean, it, this he is, tells it like. This has been quite a roller coaster ride for you, and largely because of the bizarreness of the movie-making business. Um, tell us what you've learned about the, the, the strangeness of the movie-making business through the Young Messiah experience. And do you agree with me that the machinery for Hollywood is basically broken? Well, you know, look, certainly for certain kinds of films that I'd like to go see, and that besides the ones that I'd like to make, uh, it's a different business. Um, I mean, look at, look at uh, 1492 Pictures. Chris Columbus and these guys have had huge, monstrous hits. And now, like, I think this is their first uh, film that you could categorize as an independent film. Now, it has studio distribution, uh, you know, largely thanks to them and their, and their incredible track record. But there's movies that they want to make and that they want to do, and they realize, you know what, we have to sort of go, go, go a slightly different route for certain kinds of projects that we want to do. They can still do the studio right, route if they want to on other projects. And it just, you know, for me, my experience, this is, I'm relatively new to this. My, last, my first feature really was The Stoning of Sir I Am, which is an art house movie. Right. Um, you know, this is my first sort of big release um in, in in the motion picture end i mean i've done big television in a sense but this so i'm relatively new to this so i'm i'm really not an expert but i'm just trying to learn as fast as i can so um you know look the, the other the other people that helped us a lot too and i i i can't forget them is cj entertainment out of south korea because you know we weren't sure we were going to get the kind of support from them that we would get. And they really came in at the 11th hour and helped us get this movie made. And uh, there's Mark, a guy named Mark Shaw over there who's a former West Point grad, just a great guy. And you just, you, you, what you need is allies. You need people who are willing to sort of, you know, partner together and do a special kind of movie like this and do things outside the normal channels. Well, thankfully, you found them, and you made a great movie. It's called The Young Messiah. It's out nationwide, March 11th. I urge people to see it. You will not, not only will you not be sorry, you will thank me once you've seen The Young Messiah. Uh, Cyrus, uh, we're all rooting for you. And you thanks, bet. And I'll be there, Cyrus, on the 11th. Thanks, Leah. Uh, fire me an email after you see it. And, I sure will. And, and uh, Cyrus, I'll talk to you soon. Uh, good luck on Friday. Thanks for everything, John. I really appreciate it. Uh, that's Cyrus Narasta, director Bye-bye. of 
the young messiah. When we come back, we'll head back to the world of politics because I've got a lot more to say about Trump's sanity and more on the John and Leah Show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. Welcome back. This is the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. Our website is www.freespeechbroadcasting.com, where, among other things, you can see the updated percentages, the official John and Leah Show percentages, although no wagering, please, on who will be the GOP nominee and the next president of the United States, although I do warn you, you need some courage if you're going to go check those out at freespeechbroadcasting.com. And, Lee, I want to revisit uh, Trump's sanity. It was actually probably very fortuitous that we were speaking with Cyrus Narasta from the uh, Young Messiah movie for the last Because hour. we're going to need Jesus? Well, that was part of it. But also, I mean, I'm just talking about literally from the standpoint of getting through this show because uh, my blood pressure was a little too high too soon. Uh, you know, usually I'm able to gauge it for the three hours, and I, yeah. I, I, I was already at an 11 so, you know, being able to talk about Jesus and the young Messiah for an hour was, uh, I think, uh, very fortuitous. Hopefully it was for the audience as well. But, but there's some important points I want to make in our last two segments. The, the Trump sanity phenomenon, and it is the most amazing phenomenon politically of my lifetime, probably anyone's lifetime, um, has two, as many elements, but two most important from the conservative perspective. As I've always seen it, Leah, and we've talked about this for months now, the two elements are, can he win, and do you want him to win? <laughs> now, the second part, do you want him to win, is something that we can talk about a lot, and we will in the coming months, because it looks like to me he's going to be the nominee. I think that's a more open question than ever, uh, because at the beginning of this, I thought, you know, he can't win, but, you know, boy, wouldn't it be fun if he did? Uh, I've shifted on that, but I want to focus really like a laser on this can he win? Because I take literally probably more heat than anybody I know of on Twitter and Facebook. Oh, my gosh. I mean, they hate you on Twitter. Yeah. And I'm starting to get glommed on to it just because I'm attached to you. Uh, well, I'm sorry about that, Leah, but that's part of the price you pay. That's part of why you get paid. <laughs> Having to deal with the toxicity of being A close. contagion. Right. <laughs> being close to John Ziegler. But, I mean, I, I really take these Trumpsters on head on and, and yeah and, I know and, and no and literally not one of them ever has any facts to combat me um, and my stance for the record because I want to make this clear all right my stance on Trump winning is is as follows okay barring a catastrophic event meaning and the three most likely would be economic collapse terrorist attack at the perfectly right time or Hillary gets indicted. None of those That's things not happening. Right, which I don't agree. I agree with you. It's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. But barring one of those three things happening, Donald Trump will lose to Hillary, and there is an excellent chance he's going to get clobbered, potentially by historic margins. Mm-hmm. Now, the other side, and Trump himself will tell you that I don't know what I'm talking about. 
Trump has changed all the rules. Remember, you know, with me, correct. It's just- works you know it's magic right he's got magic right. rudy giuliani has even referenced magic on the o'reilly factor but yes he has uh in saying that you know if trump wins the nomination i think he'll beat hillary because there's some magic going on so we've now got conservatives believing in magic which is a, and a movement it's <laughs> right. a movement it's a movement and it's it but I'm, I'm more concerned about the fact that conservatives are believing in magic we're going to rely on magic now as conservatives okay <laughs> so so we've got this magic and he's changing the rules, and he's expanding the base, and he's bringing in these new voters. And, and Edgar Evers' uh, brother endorsed him. Wow, yeah, that's fantastic. What state does he live in? I don't know, Mississippi. It's a state that, if we don't win that one, it doesn't matter, okay? Um, so, look, so, so the, and if you listen to Trump, what he'll tell you is... The map, the Electoral College map, which, by the way, it's amazing to me that no one ever talks about the Electoral College map because that's how we decide these things. Whether you can get the 270 Electoral College votes is all that matters, which is why I was touting Scott Walker as president and Marco Rubio as vice president because that's the easiest way to get to 270. But I guess that that doesn't matter uh, because we're we're relying on magic now. So, um, all right, so, so Trump has said, I change the map. Yes. Now, and and you know who's trying to help him desperately on and creating this myth is Matt Drudge. So Matt Drudge has created a market now, a literal market, for reporters to to write something about this myth, although don't portray it as a myth, that Donald Trump changes the map, that he can win in places that Republicans could never dream of winning. Specifically this week, I don't know if you saw this on Drudge, but this was under the top of Drudge, the, the very influential Drudge report, for at least a day, was a New York Post, which is one of the media outlets totally in the tank for Trump, as bad as as Breitbart.com is, because they're dealing, with, they're battling with the Daily News, who hates Trump like he's the devil, literally. Well, I mean, the uh, Post did have a front-page thing that said, drop dead Ted. So. Right, yeah. So they're, they're totally in the tank for, for Trump. So they, yes. so, they, so they write an article. This is hilarious. This is amazing. You, you literally could write a book about this one article. They write an article that I could smell the bull crap from where I live in Southern California. That's how the stench on this story was so bad. Their story was a secret poll that we're not going to tell you who did it. A secret poll. A secret poll. We're not going to tell you who did it. We're not going to tell you the results of it. Indicates that Trump might be able to win New York State. Okay. Now, now I'm not exaggerating. That was the story. It gets linked on Drudge. Indications are Trump could win New York. Now, oh again, again, with zero, with zero data backing on it, all right? Um, there's only been one poll, one poll by Siena University that has done head-to-head Trump versus Hillary in New York State. Trump loses, not by a little, Trump loses by 25 points. 25 yeah. points. He gets... I don't see how he could possibly take New York. He, he gets... <laughs> I believe the number is... He gets 33%. He actually does worse against Hillary in this poll, head-to-head, in New York State, than other Republican 
candidates. But but the Trump people, the the, the mob, the, the the cult, they latch on because it's on the Drudge Report and it's right. in the New York Post, and they go, "My goodness, wow, we're totally changing the map." By the way, you've probably seen on Facebook this hilarious post that shows the United States in almost all red, because. Those are the states that Trump is allegedly winning or going to win. Now, this wait a minute, wait a minute. Have you seen the one about the professor? Yeah, that he's going to win ninety-eight percent. That's all bullcrap. Okay. So, but anyway, let's don't sidetrack me here because we run out of time. So this is this is how these things work. So the, the Post writes it, Drudge links to it, Trump, who reads the Drudge report religiously, Trump reads it. And then after the debate, you know, literally 45 seconds after the debate on Thursday at Fox News Channel, Bill O'Reilly rushes to the stage so that Trump can do the commentary on his own debate. Right. It gives him a softball interview. And one of the questions deals with, you know, how are you going to win? And listen to Trump cite the his own bullcrap, basically, based on absolutely nothing because it was linked on Drudge and in the New York Post, listen to what Trump claims is his path to beating Hillary. I think I'm going to defeat Hillary because we're going to win Michigan. We might win New York. See, when I run, I have a whole different calculus. I have a chance of winning New York. Nobody else does. We have a big chance of winning New York. We're going to win places like Michigan. I'm going to win Pennsylvania. I'm going to win Ohio. I'm going to win a lot of states. I'm going to win Florida. Florida is my second home. We're going to win places that nobody else is going to win. And we're going to add states that nobody else can even think of. We're going to add states that no one else can even think of. Boy, that sounds good, doesn't it? Now, now to the to the untrained ear, it makes well, sense because he's different than everybody else. Yes. So therefore, his map must be different than everybody else. Right. Well, actually, it is different than everybody else. It's much worse. And let me tell you why. I've already explained to you the New York myth, which is a whopper. I mean, you, you know how Trump's brain works. You know he's referencing the story I just talked about. And it, oh, we got a very good chance of winning New York because the Drudge Report said we do. Well, bull crap. You're getting your ass handed to you by Hillary. By the way, that was her state. She represented as a U.S. senator. By the way, it's gone for, for every Democrat since Reagan in huge, huge numbers. I mean, it's a, it is ludicrous that he's saying yeah, and this. They don't care that you have to be a D. They don't care. Right, but, Carpetbagger, but, criminal, but doesn't this, matter. But he's saying this on Fox News Channel seconds after the debate, and Bill O'Reilly's just shaking his head going, yeah, boy, wow. Yes. Boy, boy, you really just, you're going to yes. change the map. Now, what else does he say there? He also says, we're going to win Michigan. He does. Now, now this is isn't this, he leading in Michigan? Um, yeah, let's let's take a look at that. Um, interestingly, today, and this is amazing that, that this made zero zero news. I, I want you to think, Leah, if some other candidate did what I'm about to tell you, what Trump did. So Trump tweets out, "Thank you, Michigan," mm-hmm. uh, because and he, Trump tweets out the, the results because he's winning on the GOP side among other. Republican candidates, he's winning, I think, with like 41% of the vote, right? Well, see, that's I, all that matters. Okay, so so on the Republican side, he's winning Michigan big with 41%. It's a very impressive poll from the GOP side. Yes. Now, this is this is two days after on Fox News Channel, he predicts we're going to win Michigan, right? He, he cites this poll, but doesn't mention that within this poll, which is a very good sample for Trump because he's winning on the GOP side, so he can't claim it's a bad Trump sample, they did a head-to-head. 
Okay. They did a head-to-head with Hillary versus Trump in Michigan. Okay. Guess what the result was? Trump is losing, not by a little. Trump is losing by 16 points to Hillary in Michigan. Again, this is a man with 100% name recognition, claiming he's going to win Michigan, claiming he can change the map. He gets 41% of GOP votes, but only 36%, 36% of general election votes. And by the way, do the math. 36 plus 16 makes Hillary over 50%, which means you can't lose. People have already made their decision on Hillary. They're not, how are you going to change any minds? You're not going to change any minds, especially when the media is against you and they haven't yeah, even. Yeah, I don't, I don't believe that side of the poll. Which side? That side. The Hillary yeah. side? Yeah, I just don't believe that side of the pool because, you know, the one <sighs> side has to be right, but then that other side's got to be wrong. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I want to address this other, the other bull crap that, that Trump is selling because this is the heart. This is the essence of the Trump myth. The tr- mm-hmm. the, 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 so I need to deal with this more when we come back on our final segment of this edition of the John and Leah Show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. This is the final segment of this edition of the John and Leah show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. And, and Leah, um, I realize that talking about polls can sometimes be dry, but this is really important stuff because it's the essence of Donald Trump's campaign, his claim that he can change the map and win states nobody else can. Let's review real quick. He claims he can win Michigan. There's a poll out today that he touted, although he didn't tell you the most important part, where he's losing to Hillary by 16 points, and she's over 50%. So cross that state out. He's losing New York, which he's lying on Fox News Channel after the debate that he can win because he saw a link about this on Drudge, which, by the way, was a a story by the New York Post that was clearly designed for one purpose and one purpose only, to be linked on Drudge. They knew Drudge would link to it. They created a pile of bullcrap. And it got linked, and I'm sure they got tons and tons of traffic, and it was all a bunch of crap. And that, but that's the news media in today's day and age. So, so, But in reality, he's losing to Hillary, and the only poll that we have a head-to-head matchup with Trump and Hillary by 25 points. So forget New York. So he ain't winning Michigan. He ain't winning New York. In New Hampshire, which is a, a potential win state for a Republican. It's a purple state. Uh, He is losing to Hillary head-to-head by eight points, while the other candidates are beating her in New Hampshire. Now, he also says, uh, I'm going to win Florida. It's my second home state. Now, this is really important. So I need everyone to listen up, okay? If you're the Republican candidate, you can't even have a conversation about winning unless you win Florida, right? And and so uh, he's confidently saying, I'm going to win Florida. It's my second home state. All right. There was a poll out two days ago. Indicates Rubio might be gaining on him on the Republican side within five points. But here's the most important stat. They asked Republicans in Florida, are you in the category of someone who would never, that was the, the word they used, never vote for Donald Trump? 32% of Republicans said yes. Of that 32%, 
A third of them said they felt extremely strongly about the sentiment of never voting for Donald Trump. Now, let's be generous to Trump. Let's say that over time that dissipates. It won't, but let's say it dissipates. Let's say it's only one out of every 10 or even one out of every 12 Republican voters, that's what the stats would indicate, are in the camp of strongly feeling like they would never vote for Donald Trump. You cannot win Florida if one out of 10 or one out of 12 Republicans will never vote for you. And by the way, this was a poll taken before the last debate where he went after their senator, Marco Rubio, as little Marco and yeah. and demeaned him in a way that, frankly, I thought could have been perceived as racist under the exact same circumstances. And by the way, when he goes after Hillary in the same way, it's going to be sexist, folks. Of course the, it will the, be. The media will determine that that was sexist. It's not racist to call Marco Rubio little Marco because the media loves Trump right now. But when it's Hillary, per, trust me, you know, you can you can trust me on this one. Just, you know, believe me, they, they are going <laughs> to protect Hillary on the sexism charge. But so so here you are, Trump. You're going to say you're going to win Florida, yet you're stupid enough to make demeaning comments about a popular Republican senator from Florida, who, by the way, represents a demographic group, Cubans in southern Florida, that is a must-win for you if you have any chance whatsoever. What are you doing? He, He gets along with the Hispanics. Yeah, right, because a couple of them voted for him who probably worked for him in Nevada. So we're supposed to believe that he gets along with the Hispanics. But do you, do you understand my point here, Leah? That I do. It, it, I do. So it, it, it makes me upset that people will stay home because I will vote for Trump. I will vote for him. If it's him and Hillary, I'm coming out. I'm voting for Donald Trump. Yeah, but you don't matter because you're in Alabama. I don't matter because I'm in California. Uh, Both of those states are foregone conclusions. Um, And we can talk more about what you just said in in weeks and months ahead. But the point— He he can't win like this. The point is he's already sabotaged himself in the most important state by offending huge numbers of people for no reason— for none, he, you cannot, I don't care who you are, you cannot be the Republican candidate in Florida where, where we know from 2000 how razor thin the margins can be. Right. Uh, you cannot win when you've offended one-tenth or, or, or maybe one-twelfth of at least of the Republican base. And, and, and that's, again, how many Rubio fans are going to bust their ass for Donald Trump in Florida in no. November? Not, not gonna, anymore. Not little happen. Marco, little Marco, little Marco. It's, it's not, constant. It is not going to happen. They are in the never Trump category. So I don't. I have a feeling Trump would lose Florida in, in, in most scenarios. I think, by the way, another scary stat that no one in the conservative media will tell you is now is there there was one very credible poll out in the last week out of North Carolina. Now, North Carolina is you can't even dream of being the Republican nominee and winning the presidency North without North Carolina. Carolina. Yeah. Trump loses to Hillary by six points there, and he only gets 41 percent, 41 with 100 percent name recognition. 
I think he loses. I think the most likely scenario is he loses Florida, North Carolina, Missouri, wins no states that Romney didn't win. I think he gets his ass kicked. And I think mm. we probably lose the Senate. We might even lose the House on the Republican side. Yeah, uh, and and, and that, this is the worst case scenario, but it is much more plausible than him at him winning based upon the current data. And the and, and I love what the response from the Trumpsters is. One, he'll change people's minds and two, yes. I don't believe the polls. Right. Oh yeah. The <laughs> polls is- are wrong. That's what I was saying because you had that other poll that showed uh Donald Trump losing to Hillary in New York. Okay, so people would say, oh, no, there's no way. Uh, There's no way he's going to do that. Yet they'll believe the Republican side of it, but not the Democratic side of the same poll. You must be crazy. When are you going to stop believing in something that isn't true? That's right there. That's that's our official Trumpster audio clip. All right, Leah, uh, enjoy the Young Messiah on Friday. We'll we'll talk about it on Sunday. Uh, The podcast will be available at freespeechbroadcasting.com and iTunes tomorrow. Until next week. So long, everybody. I'm John Ziegler. Have a great week.